Amen. You know, Aaron picks these gospel-rich songs and that one, you know, Mercy Tree, I was like, where is he going with this? Is it, is it going to be about Good Friday more than Easter? But it, it finished strong. You brought it home, man. Thank you, uh, Aaron, for that was a beautiful Easter anthem uh, at the end there. And the, the important thing about this week is Holy Week is the most important week in the history of everything because everything changed. When we talk about the gospel, that's a word we use a lot here. You may not know what that means. All it is is the good news of how God made a way for sinful people and a sinful world to be reconciled to him and to each other forever. That's all it means. And that way is through the cross and the empty tomb. We talk a lot about Jesus dying for our sins, and that's true, he did die for our sins, but he also rose as Christus Victor, Christ the victor, triumphant over death, the power of sin and suffering forever. Did y'all catch how the sky opened up there for a little bit and the sun came out when it talked about the darkness? Did you see that? Morgan just kind of chuckled over there and said, the light. <laughs> it just you know, broke through for a minute. We were singing about the, the grave and then God sends us those little reminders in his mercy. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> it may seem strange. I'm glad I'm not coaching soccer. We had a break this week on coaching my daughter's soccer team because singing at the top of my lungs for all those songs, uh, was, well, I was able to do it better because of uh, no soccer practice. I yell a lot at soccer practice. So it, it may seem strange to dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 3 on Easter Sunday, but the truth is every Sunday is the Lord's day. Every Sunday is special because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Christians very early on in this thing called the church began meeting on Sunday because each Sunday is a chance to celebrate the resurrection all over again. And every biblical text, even the Old Testament ones, are deeply shaped and informed by the resurrection of the Son of God and therefore worthy of our hearing them preached. So my hope for today is that we read our text through the particularly focused lens of Easter and the resurrection. I think it's beautiful how Jesus rising from the dead helps us make sense not only of this passage, not only of all passages of scripture, but of the whole of reality. It makes sense. I was telling you just yesterday about you know, the sin problem in our world. You know, that it's such an, a good argument for why things are the way they are. We have answers. We have good news for a world that desperately needs it. So I'm calling our outline for today, Knowing Reality. If you had a chance to pick up an outline, you don't, there's only three points. You can uh, remember this or take notes or whatever you want to do. You're, you're free to do whatever you do. Knowing reality, having the resurrected mind of Christ. There's a desire in our culture, especially you know, among young people and millennials, to live authentically. All these commercials advertising, if you buy our product, you'll be real, <laughs> right? We want to live authentically, and I don't think that's a bad thing, okay? I'm not upset with people who want to live authentically. I do too. But in order to be real, we have to know what is real and what's just an illusion, and there's so much disillusionment in our country today, isn't there? I read about the 60s and about the disillusionment that many of you lived through. 
uh, many of you did not live through as well. But I feel like in our culture, we're experiencing something like that now with so much disillusionment. People wake up and they wonder, how did I get here? They've been chasing what they thought they wanted only to find out that what they were chasing wasn't even real. If we're gonna flourish, if we're gonna thrive in this life and in the next, then we must know what is real. We must divest ourselves of our illusions and of our disillusions. So where do these illusions come from? I'm not just picking on marketing people, Jamie, I know I always do, but not just marketing, okay? If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, we market our church, right? It's, there are good things to market out there. If you go back to Genesis three, we're told that our ancient enemy, the great serpent, is more crafty and more cunning than all the creatures in the world. Satan works by deceiving. He works through deception. He wants nothing more than to cloud our minds and confuse our thoughts. And apparently he's really, really good at it. It's easy to see that the world around us is very unclear, is very hazy on just about everything. But God gives us the chance through Jesus Christ to do what Romans 12:1 says, to do not be conformed into this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. It starts in the mind, right? I love that old saying, it's not scripture, and no one really knows who came up with it. Some people say Augustine, who knows, but it says, watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. And watch your character because it becomes your destiny. Have y'all heard that before? It's really good. My, I preach it to our kids all the time. It's, it's, I think it's biblical in itself. It's not actually scripture, but it is a, a biblical saying. And it all begins in the mind. Watch your thoughts. It all starts with what we think of, with what our mind's attention is focused on. So this morning we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. And my prayer and my hope is that in, in hearing these words today, that we'll have a clear view of what's real and what's just illusion. Will you stand with me in honor of God's word as I read our text for today from the Bible that Dr. Bert Dyson gave me, uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through chapter 3, verse 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, 
but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may have a seat. You know, our, our daughter May and our youngest Isaiah were playing cards the other day uh, in the kitchen, and um, I heard May say something about, uh, quit, quit using propaganda. And I was like, that's a big word for you know, a 10-year-old, where did, where did she learn that? And I, I stuck my head around the corner. I said, May, what did you just say? She said, propaganda. I said, where did you learn that? She said, at school. And I said, what, what does it mean? And she said, it means spreading false information. Like, obviously. And I said, okay, good job, Metro Schools. All right, doing, doing okay. Uh, pretty proud. And Isaiah was repeating it back, of course, our five-year-old. And that was interesting life lesson about propaganda. And I'm okay with that. You know, we, we want our kids not to be deceived, right? We, we want our kids not to be duped. We want our kids not to be led astray, away from reality. Jude and I were watching basketball, as a lot of you were, uh, this past uh, college basketball season, and an ad came on. I won't say which one it was. You've probably have seen it. Uh, for a potion, a, a potion that will uh, cure just about everything, uh, including covid uh, it, it'll cure uh, eczema instantly, it says. Here's what the actual, I went to the website and, and had to look it up. Uh, it, it'll help your immune system, it'll allow your immune system to shed the virus and its variants, along with blood clots, breathing problems, body aches, cough, and trouble sleeping at night. Then at the end of the commercial, a, a brief disclaimer pops up for just a second. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. <laughs> and Jude, our 12-year-old, just kind of laughed and, and said, yeah, right. I'm not saying that, that skepticism or cynicism, which I'm very prone to, I'm not saying those are the answer either, okay? Don't get me wrong. Don't be skeptics or cynics. But we know that we're constantly being sold something by people who may not always have our best interest in mind. If we're gonna live in reality, then we must 
shed not only our disillusions, we must learn to not be deceived. And as crafty as some of these campaigns are, none are as deadly as the lies that we're daily bombarded with from the father of lies, from Satan, the, the deceiver. So we're going to divide this text into three parts, and each one taking a, a, a part, unmasking a different deception that Satan would love for us to fall for, to buy into, to trip over. First, let's see how the Bible unmasks the deception of power. Our small group this morning, Leellen said that every preacher's got three points and they start with the same letter. I said, yeah, I'm doing that today. The deception of power. <laughs> Remember these Greeks who lived in Corinth, this very high society, they were obsessed with winning arguments and climbing the social ladder through their fancy rhetoric and their speaking and their knowledge. And they thought that impressing others with their vast wisdom was the key to doing that. But last week we saw how Paul said, look, I don't know anything. I came to you with nothing except for a simple message, Christ and him crucified. That's enough, that's all you need. In fact, that trumps every argument out there. It's just a simple message. It's not highfalutin. It's not anything that's, that's gonna win an argument. It's just Christ and him crucified. And that wasn't enough for the Corinthians. They wanted wisdom, which in their minds is something that's gonna sound impressive on social media, if they had had social media back then. They wanted something that's gonna make them feel better about themselves, make them feel superior to those who are barbaric. They would talk about how the Greeks, you know, they invented philosophy and government and theater and all these things and the other nations were just barbarians. But Paul basically says, look, there is a true wisdom, a high wisdom out there, but you guys can't handle it because you're not mature enough to handle it. Verse six, Paul says, among the mature we do impart wisdom although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Because the wisdom of those in worldly power today is not really wisdom. We know this because it was those with authority in the most earthly powerful uh, empire in that time, the Roman Empire, mighty Rome, that killed Jesus. We know this that that's not real wisdom because verse eight says, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Remember Jesus on the cross asked for forgiveness for his killers, Father forgive them for they know not what they do, as the King James Version says. And I've heard it said before, they knew exactly what they were doing. They were Roman soldiers. They had performed thousands of crucifixions. They were experts. They were very efficient. That's why the Jewish Sanhedrin wanted the Romans to do it. Because sometimes stoning, you know, Paul got away with stoning. Sometimes it wasn't always as effective. But no one escaped crucifixion. Crucifixion by the Romans was absolutely 100% guarantee of death. They knew what they were doing. But in a more larger sense, they had no idea what they were doing because they did not know that he was the divine, incarnate son of the living God. If they had known that, perhaps they would have acted, surely they would have acted much differently than they did. You know, but here's the thing, you think about it, 
Rome had all the power in the world, right? But God was doing something even more powerful. They were just pawns in God's hands. Because only a few centuries later, the Christian church, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, would be spreading exponentially throughout the world on fire with the gospel of Jesus, and the Roman Empire would be a relic of history, crumbling to nothing. True power comes from being part of a deeper reality. True power comes from being a part of a deeper reality. Chasing after earthly power is actually settling for less power. When we give ourselves to God's plan, when we submit and surrender our lives to him and put him rightfully on the throne of our lives, we then find the kind of wisdom that while still simple, the basic gospel message, Christ and him crucified, but it beats out all earthly wisdom every time. Because God will have the last word, one way or another. When we begin to mature and grow in grace, we call that process discipleship or sanctification, growing more and more into Christ-likeness. When we do that, we learn to live more fully in the perfect plan that will indeed go forward in divine power. And that leads us to the second deception. In verses 10 to 16, we unmask the deception of perception, of what you see, of what we take in with our eyes. I heard a podcast from Malcolm Gladwell, Revisionist History. It's, it's great uh, if you listen to podcasts. And he talked about this experiment that was conducted with dogs. And this is great for you dog lovers out there. You'll, you'll love this. Uh, they trained these Labrador retrievers to sniff out colon cancer. And it was amazingly accurate. And over and over again, the dogs consistently beat out the alternative method to discovering colon cancer, which is a colonoscopy. And Malcolm Gladwell said, now think about this. Would you rather have 10 minutes with a Labrador Retriever or a colonoscopy? <laughs> Especially when 10 minutes with a Labrador Retriever is proven to be more effective at rightly, accurately diagnosing colon cancer. We'd all choose the dog, right? But why do we not do that? It's because we don't trust smell. We have to see it in order to believe it. We have to see it. We can't take things on faith. Is basic. He's not a believer, but he was making the point that we can't take things on faith. Dogs have a sense of smell that, I mean, scientists don't even know how many more times you know, better it is than ours, but they, they have proven that dogs can detect odors in one part to a trillion parts. They can detect an odor. It's amazing what dogs can do. And yet we don't trust it because it's just a sense of smell and we trust our eyes. In verse 10, Paul says the highest wisdom doesn't come through seeing. We know that the problem is that we can't even trust our own eyes, that what we see deceives us. He says in verse 10, these things, the, the holy mysteries, what eye has not seen that he talked about in verse nine, these things God has revealed to us through the spirit, not by sight. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Don't believe your eyes, don't trust what you see. Trust the revelation of the spirit. 
Because he knows a deeper reality than what you can take in with just your eyes or with any and all of your five senses. The key is to live more and more in step with the Holy Spirit and to have our consciences finely tuned to his guidance and to his leading. We see the opposite of that kind of life in verse 14. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness, folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're only spiritually discerned. We're deceived in and of our natural state. We are deceived, led by lies, unable to discern what really is going on. We have a young couple in our church that uh, was set to get married uh, next month in California. And when they went to apply for their marriage license two months before the wedding, they were told to wait until it got closer to time. They said, sure, you can make an appointment to apply for your license. The next available one is in June. And they said, wait, 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 our, we're getting married in a church in May and we have to have a marriage license. The church requires us to have a marriage license in hand to get married at the church, as they should. They wanna make sure this is a legit wedding, right? And they said, oh no, you can't do that. You gotta wait until June. So they called some other counties around California and one of them said, sure, uh, you, the next appointment is in August uh, to apply for a marriage license. And they got panicked and said, what are we gonna do? She said, it's almost like the, the state of California doesn't want people to get married. And I said, you know what I think is that our enemy doesn't want people to get married. Our enemy's trying to destroy marriages. He's trying to destroy families. He's trying to destroy all the good structures that God has put in place. Friendships, good loyal friendships. Uh, it, church bodies that are families of faith. Our enemy wants to destroy all of those things. There's a deeper reality. When we read the newspaper, we read it through a spiritual lens and we perceive a deeper reality than what is just happening on the surface. I'm not talking about Bible code or you know, Da Vinci code kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about seeing things spiritually instead of just through the lens of our eyes on the surface. Needless to say, that couple, we, we got it all worked out and uh, they're gonna be able to get married in May and everything's gonna work out, but it's helpful to look for the deeper picture to know what we're up against so we can move forward in reality. If we actually have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, then we are able to discern things because we are close to God himself. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're able to see things and perceive things that aren't always readily obvious to others in our world. What a gift, what a blessing to have this Holy Spirit in us. And ultimately, we're responsible to God alone. That's why verse 15 says the spiritual person judges all things. That means they discern all things. And they are not judged by anyone because only God really has the ultimate authority over those of us who are in Christ Jesus reconciled to him. And then Paul drives it home in verse 16, one of my favorite verses. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We who are born again, we who have died to ourselves and been raised into a whole new kind of life through the miracle of Jesus Christ and this gospel, we no longer see the world as the rest of the world does, but we're learning to see the world as Jesus did through the Holy Spirit. 
He modeled for us a new way to be human in this world, to walk by faith and not by sight, to say to our Father, I'd like to do this, but in the end, your will be done and you get the glory. We're transformed through the renewing of our minds. That leads to our final section, unmasking the deception of popularity. That's our third P, the deception of popularity. We all wanna be liked. I mean, I, I preach on Sundays and I want people to like me. I, we all struggle with that. But we, we really struggle when it becomes where we care more about what people think of us than what God thinks of us. And who I am on Sunday is who I've been all week. And that's true for you too. Spiritual people are in tune with God's approval. They care about what God thinks of them and they care pretty little about what others think of them except in how it will affect their work for the Lord. I can't just tick everybody off. You know, I've got to be somewhat light. They love to please God like my golden retriever loves to please me, her master. I love that line in Chariots of Fire where Eric Little, you know, the Scottish, this is a true story. Uh, the, the movie was from 1981, but Eric Little was a Scottish missionary who also happened to run for the UK in the 1924 Olympic Games. And his sister was telling him, Eric, we need you on the mission field. Come back home to China and give up on this running stuff. It's, it's just distracting you from the Lord's work in China. And he tells his sister, look, I believe God made me for a purpose, but I also believe he made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Doing what the Lord made us to do gives the Lord a chance to approve of what we're doing. And that's what we crave for. That's what we live for, is for God's approval not what anyone else says. You know the story, he refused to run on Sunday and ended up losing what surely would have been a gold medal for the UK. And then the other races that he ran, he won the gold. But the Corinthians were still deceived in their immaturity. They, they, they cared deeply about what people thought more than what God thought. They, they cared about who was popular and who wasn't. And they weren't ready for that spiritual meat of the gospel because they hadn't grown up, because they were still letting their flesh dictate how they lived their lives and how they saw other people. And that's clear from their pastor popularity contest that they were having. In verse four of chapter three, Paul says, when one says, I follow Paul, another one, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? Remember back in chapter one, they were bragging about, oh yeah, well who baptized me? Paul baptized me. And they were like, oh yeah? Well, Apollos baptized me and he's a better speaker. Boom. They only cared about who uh, they were associated with, what pastor they were connected to. And we love to associate with winners, don't we? We love to associate with famous people, with important people. The Corinthian church was no different dividing into camps over who their favorite pastor was. The problem is that they were more loyal to the messenger rather than to the message. Paul tells them in verse five, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? <laughs> Talking about himself. Servants, literally the word in Greek is diakonoi. That's where we get our word deacons from. People who wait on tables is what that means. Through whom you believed. 
and as the Lord assigned to each. They just played their part. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I didn't grow anyone. I didn't mature anyone. God did it. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. We're not on different teams. We're on the same team. And one, each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. We're going to get more to that metaphor next week. I hope you'll all come back next week as we talk about that metaphor and how beautiful that is. What is Paul? What is Nathan? What is Evan? What is Rachel? I mean, they're great. You know, they are. I'm not talking about me. They're, they're fantastic people. What is Aaron? He, they're all great. Ron, Lil, we got an awesome team here. Andy, everybody plays their part. Uh, Usaini, our custodian. Uh, Wendy, our preschool director. They're all great. But who are we? Really, it, we're just playing our part in what God is doing. That's the important part. God is moving, and we just want to be a part of it. And how amazing it is that we get to be a part of it. What a privilege it is to proclaim God's word on Sunday morning. In conclusion, we, we do live in a hazy world where, where clarity is, is really hard to come by. A lot of different news outlets claim we, we got the clear, concise truth, right? But it's only one side of, of a story a lot of times. What our world needs is some clarity. We have thousands of voices competing for our mind's attention and for our heart's affection. Most people don't even know how to tell which of those voices is God's. Even many who claim to be adopted into God's family and claim the family name of Christian are not living as spiritual people with the mind of Christ. You know, when I saw the sun come out and my wife said, ah, the light, you know, she's a spiritual person. And she was interpreting that happening as an act of God. That's what spiritual people do. They see God in things. I was talking to Jude about this, and he said that on a retreat, he had a spiritual moment with the Lord. He was moved spiritually. And I said, that's because you're a spiritual person. You've been born again. If you haven't had that sense of spirituality, then come talk to me. I'd love to, to help you with some spiritual disciplines that can cultivate that sensitivity to the spirit in your life. Do you know God's voice when you hear it? Tim Keller says that unless you're running away from God or running toward God, you don't really know who he is. <laughs> unless you're running away from him or running toward him, you don't know who he is. In church, we have good news. On Easter, this day, more than any other day, we celebrate the full gospel that says that true reality, deeper reality, is that God is sovereign, that he's on his throne, that he's good, and that he's fixing what's wrong with our world through the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. If we know that, if we know the Lord intimately, we either run to him and join him in that work, or we make like Jonah and try to run as far away from him as possible because we know what he's capable of and we're not living in step with him. Do you know him? Do you know Christ and the power of his resurrection? If so, then you know the deep sense of peace and settledness 
that assures us. Evan prayed so beautifully about the settledness and security that we have that tells us that not even death can stop God's good plan for our lives. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not even death. N.T. Wright, again, wrote this huge book called The Resurrection of the Son of God. I've only read part of it, but it's amazing. He says that churches today often lose sight of the clarity that the hope of the gospel brings. He says what we have at the moment isn't like the old liturgies used to say, the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead, but a vague and fuzzy optimism that somehow things may work out in the end. That's not real hope, is it? But thanks be to God, as Evan prayed, we have an incarnate hope, a living hope who not only died a sacrificial death, atoning for our sins, but then he overthrew sin and its natural order, death. I'll close with one more from N.T. Wright. Easter was when hope, capital H, hope, in person, surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present. Hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview or reality is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful, and the unscrupulous do not, after all, have the last word. The same worldview shift that is demanded by the resurrection of Jesus is the shift that will enable us to transform the world. May the Lord continue to shift our reality, to shift our worldview, to align with the truth and the power of the resurrection. And may we faithfully play our part in bringing heaven to earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel news that you didn't stay dead, that you rose again in power, defeating decisively the power of sin and death forever. God, we know that on that day you dealt our enemy a, a mortal blow, and yet now as a mortally wounded creature, he is more fierce than ever. God, we pray that you would guard our minds against his assaults. We pray that you would show us what is real and what is true and what is right and what is good, that we may thrive, that we may flourish as you would have us to, as you have called us to, as you made us to. God, forgive us for settling for lesser power, for lesser riches, for lesser things of this world when you offer us a holiday at the beach, as C.S. Lewis said, oh God, and yet we settle for making mud pies in the slums because our desire for pleasure is not too great, it's, it's too little. God, we pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, on the things that are above, not the things of this world, so that we can live into the reality of the resurrection. God, we thank you for the concrete hope that we have. And God, the journey from, from the grave to the empty tomb is, is not an easy one. We know what it took for you, God, but I pray that as we gather together as your saints and we sing to one another, Alleluia, 
that we are reminded that you are worthy of all praise because you are good and that love will get the last word because you are love. Remind us that all the pain we go through is capable of being redeemed, maybe not in this life even, but because you are the one who works good out of bad 24-7. And God, even if we can't see it, we trust that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your good purposes. We pray this all in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to have a time of response now. If you've never put your faith in Christ, uh, if you've never surrendered your heart to him for the first time, we invite you to come forward and talk to me about what it means to receive the gift of grace, of, of salvation by grace through faith in what Jesus has done. Maybe you feel like you're spinning your wheels trying to be good enough. Maybe you think that you are good enough to get into heaven on your own. I got news, you're not, and I'm not either. None of us are. We all have fallen woefully short of God's standard of holiness, but there's good news. Jesus Christ has bridged that gap and made a way for us to come to a holy God with confidence, boldly approaching the mercy seat and receiving the forgiveness that is ours there through Jesus Christ. He gives us his perfect righteousness. He takes all of our sin and shame upon himself. Maybe you've been living in shame and, and you're ready to dump it all and say, I'm ready to come clean and, and be washed in the blood. Maybe you've never been baptized as a believer. We believe in believer's baptism here as an important step of obedience in what Christ has done. It's an outward symbol of an inward reality. If you've never been baptized, I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you don't have a church family. Maybe you've been trying to do Christianity kind of on your own or you're kind of a Christian but you're kind of on the fence about it. I'd love to talk with you about getting plugged in here at Woodmont, what it means to be a member. We, we believe that membership matters here at Woodmont and we'd love to see you get plugged into a, a life group, to a discipleship group, to get to know some people and fellowship with the body of Christ. We all need that. You can't do Christianity on your own. It's a team sport, as I like to say. There's no such thing as a lone Christian. You have to be in the body of Christ. You can't love Jesus and not love the body. It's hard because the body's messy. The body sure is messy. And, and Woodmont does not have a perfect preacher and doesn't have perfect deacons. They're pretty great, but they're not perfect. It doesn't have a perfect uh, music team and, and all those things. But if you want to be a part of what God's doing, we'd love to receive you into fellowship here at Woodmont or just talk with you more. Maybe you just want to pray. Maybe you're like, I'm just tired, man. I haven't had a spiritual encounter in a long time and you want to come forward to the altar and just pray at the altar. That's, that's great too. Whatever it is that you need to do, respond to the Lord. Respond to his word in your heart before you leave this place today. Let's stand and sing our hymn of response.